You folks have been um, going through Isaiah and uh, today we've got to Isaiah 62 and I'm, I am quite sure that uh, many times from the pulpit here uh, preachers have said that when you read prophecy, when you read the prophetic statements of people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel, there are, there are three aspects to that prophecy. One of them is the moment of time in which it is spoken, that it means to convey a, a very direct message and challenge and often a word of encouragement as is, as is Isaiah 62 to the people who hear it. And then there is the, the long, the far distant prophetic word that in this case relates to Jerusalem, to the new Jerusalem and all the glory of that and the wonder of that. And then there, in between those, there is the, the prophetic word that comes to us in our time, in our moment, uh, in our place right now, and it will always convey a message to us. And, um, and of course, in this passage, uh, where he's talking about Jerusalem, in the, in, in our moment, we're talking about the church. So, we're going to be looking at that today, but I just wanted also to say that in most prophetic words, there is a setting, a sentiment, and a subject. So, we know what the setting was. The people of Israel had come back to Jerusalem after 50 years, uh, and the, the city was a mess. It was a wreck. It, was, it had been destroyed. That was the setting in which this word was spoken. The sentiment is one of positivity and hope. Isaiah brings a message from God that says, I love you, I love the city, I'm going to bring it all together and it's all going to be a very important part of my plan and my purpose and he encourages them uh, as does the prophet himself. And then, then the third is the subject. The subject is God's vision for both Israel and the church. So we've got the setting, we know what was going on for these people. They were, they were downhearted, discouraged, despairing. We've got the, we've got the, the sentiment, one of positivity in the message and the subject, God's vision for both Israel and the church. I just wanted to take you very quickly in five minutes through the, the most important things that are said in this passage, just so we can sort of get a, 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 an overall view of it. The prophet speaks first about himself and he says that he loves Zion, his heart yearns for Jerusalem, he cannot remain silent and he'll not ever stop praying for her. So if you've got your Bibles, you can follow that. That's what he says about this message. But then, then he speaks about God's vision and purpose for his people Jerusalem and these are the things he says her righteousness will shine like the dawn her salvation will blaze like a burning torch the nations will see her righteousness world leaders will be blinded by her glory the Lord will give her a new name the Lord will hold her in his hand for all to see she will be a splendid crown in the hand of God. Never again will she be known as the forsaken city or the desolate land. Her new name will, shall be the city 
of God's delight and the bride of God. The Lord will delight in her and claim her as his bride. God will rejoice over her as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Her people will be called the holy people. They'll also be called the people redeemed by the Lord. Jerusalem will be known as the desirable place and the city no longer forsaken. That's a glorious statement, isn't it? This is what God is saying to Israel about Jerusalem, but he's also saying it to us today about the church. And I hope that one of the things that will fill your heart today is a, is a great love for the church. Not just this church, but for the church. For the church universal. Because it's God's, it's, it's God's plan. It's God's master plan. You understand that? When, when he let, when Jesus left earth and ascended into heaven, he gave one plan to his disciples. Just one. And it was to go into the world and preach the gospel, baptizing people, disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all the things that Jesus had, had shared with the, the church. That, that, that was the plan. There wasn't very much strategy in that plan. Just the plan. Because the strategy lie in the fact that he was giving to every believer the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would show them the way to fulfill that plan. So the church was God's gathered people, God's called people. Uh, in the Bible it's called ecclesia, where we get our word ecclesiology from. But they, Christians are God's ecclesia, called together, called out of uh, their sin into God's righteousness. And, and they have been called to reflect God's glory. That, that's it. Simple as that. Have, haven't we made it a, a lot more complicated haven't we turned church and theology and doctrine into such a complicated, often conflicted situation? But it was simple. Twelve men. Jesus says you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and then you'll have power and then you'll preach and then people will be saved and those who will be saved are the called and they will become the church. And every and in every generation, people will come to Christ all over the world. And in every generation, the church will be reborn and reborn with new people coming in because that's God's plan. And they will become the church in their workplace, in their neighborhood, in their family, in, in every place they would be the church. And and he speaks so glowingly about how God sees it. He says, her righteousness will shine like the dawn. What do you think of when you think of God, God God's righteousness and, 
and, and righteousness generally. You know, often when we think of righteousness, we think of something very, very perfect in terms of uh, the way we live or, or our morals or our attitudes or whatever. I, I think it's simpler than that. I, I think when we reflect God's righteousness, what we are refe- reflecting is God's love, forgiveness and acceptance. Because that is what Jesus showed us about God's righteousness. Okay? That's what he, he showed us was that God was fully loving, fully forgiving and fully accepting and that when we reflect that same love and forgiveness and acceptance in our relationships, in our communities, in our workplaces, when we do that in the name of Jesus, we, we produce an environment in which we can declare the salvation of Jesus. The church has to be aware of what is the environment we are developing in our workplace, in our homes, in our neighbourhoods, in which we can declare the righteousness of Christ. And, and God sees the church with a righteousness shining like the dawn and her message of salvation blazing like a torch. I just uh, get very excited about a church that we are associated with where, where they have a, a motto in the church and the motto is being Christ in every place. They're a very simple motto and, and what they've done with that is they've used that as the basis of all their teaching and their training and they train people to what that mean about what that means how do you go into your workplace how are you how can you be christ in that workplace i know it's tough we know it's tough being a christian in a secular situation and often a hostile situation so how do we train them my brother gil who who, who many years ago pastored the truth and liberation church he he um this dawned on him one day that the real work of the church was not on Sunday, it was in the workplace. So he decided that he would make lunchtime appointments with people in their workplace. And he would take his sandwiches and he would go and he would meet with people in their office, um, secretaries, managers, um, uh, workers in factories, and he would sit down with them and he would say, um, you are the minister, the missionary, God's missionary in this place, in this workplace. And I, as a representative of the leadership of the church, have come to find out how we can help you. And he had workers actually breaking down in tears saying, this is the first time the church has ever offered to support us in being the church in the world. That's really powerful, isn't it? And, and, and the, the, the glory of the salvation that God sees is Christians out there reflecting and preaching Christ and leading people to Jesus. That's the church. Now, I know you, you know that, and I'm just reminding you of that this morning as I'm reminding myself. The nations will see her righteousness. We will have an impact 
on the leaders of nations. We, in God's vision, world leaders would actually actually be blinded by her glory, and the Lord will give her a new name. You know what the new name that we have that the church has already been given, the new name is the body of Christ. The scriptures gave the church that name. We are the body of Christ. We also are the temple of the living God. And and in in the body of Christ, we are body parts. In the temple of God, we are we are living stones and holy priests. You know, God doesn't God doesn't treat lightly the fact that He bring, calls people out of their sinfulness and He places them in relationship with Himself, and, and we are His children. He sees us as living stones. He sees us as holy priests. He sees us as body parts of the body of which Christ is the head. They're not just illustrations. They're not just saying the church is like the temple of of the living God. He's not just saying the church is like a body with Jesus as the head and us as the body parts. He's saying that is what the church is. And when we embrace that individually and we embrace that as a church, it begins to uh, reignite the excitement with which we should approach being the church in this world, being the light in the darkness. And, you know, those lovely verses about the Lord delighting in the church as his bride and, and, uh, and delighting over her as a groom, would delight over the bride. Did you realize that today when you've been singing praises to God, God has been delighting over you. He is, he is delighted that you represent his church worldwide. And wherever Christians are meeting today, wherever Christians are living today, even in places like Ukraine, God is delighting in the church. And his purposes are being fulfilled. Well, then he, he gives three commands uh, to the church. One of them is that the people of the church need to be watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem. Watchmen. Now, a watchman uh, knows what's going on out there. The watchman is feeding back information uh, from the walls. And we need to be watchmen. We need to be looking out. Not in a defensive manner, but in a in an, uh, 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 the manner of gathering the information, the sort of intelligence manner, wanting to know how we can be most effective. And then he says, "Pray continually." The prophet himself says, "I'll never stop praying," and uh, and we are to pray continually. And he even is a little bit cheeky, and he says. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work. And all that's saying is that we need to be in tune with God and we need to be praying for the fulfillment of his plans and purposes in our lives. And uh, God says, I will never again hand you over to your enemies. So what does Isaiah 62 say to us? Well, pretty much what I've said, but just let's re re um, 
emphasize that the church is God's master plan. That's what we said right earlier. Now, we need to grab a hold of that. And, and I say when I speak at uh, pastors meetings and so on and leaders meetings, I say, you know, start off every meeting in discussion about your church by reminding yourself that the church is God's master plan. This is not something that we planted 100 years ago or 120 years ago. It's God's plan. We've just brought it here. The the people who started the Montmorency Gospel Chapel brought God's plan here. And we are the custodians of God's plan now. We are the ones who are supposed to be hearing and listening to God and, and doing what God tells us as his plan unfolds in an ever-changing world. The gospel, the message of salvation, has been entrusted to her. That's what's been entrusted to the church. All the other things that we do are ways of expressing the gospel. So if we do social ministries, if we have a food bank, if if we are reaching out to particular groups, then that's an... That they are methods of expressing the gospel. They are the ways by which we show people that we belong to Christ and that we represent him because that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, if you do it to the least of these, my brethren, you do it to me. We've got this lovely sense of, of being in the purposes of God. But the real work is leading people to Christ. That's the real work, is planting the seed and maybe harvesting it too. Some others might harvest it, but our task is always to be planting the gospel of salvation in in people's minds. And the third thing that I believe Isaiah 62 says to us is that the name of the church is the bride of Christ and the city of delight. And the New Testament calls it the body of Christ. I want to encourage you in your devotions this week, as you think about Isaiah 62, go back and read it again. And then begin to, to ask yourself, well, what, what do you really believe in your heart of hearts about the church and your relationship to the church? God's church. What, what, what is it that you really believe? What is it that drives the way you think about the church? What is it that motivates you to be the church out in the, the wider community? What do you really understand that the scripture says about the church? I said earlier when I was being interviewed that, um, that one of the things that I, I believe is really important for us to talk about is what is the difference between the church as an organism and the church as an organization? Now, the reason I ask that is not because organizations aren't, a lot of organizations are run very, very well and, and, and they have some great principles and great values and 
when the church is run like an organisation, it's normally run very well. And there are lots of organisational things that we have to do these days, like uh, health and safety and the protection of children and all those things. They, they are organisational things. But sitting at the top of the church is not a director or a board of directors. It's Jesus himself. And the, and the connection point he has with every Christian that makes up the church universal is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. That's what the scripture says. And when God speaks, the Holy Spirit hears and then the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit. One of the fa- my favourite verses for 65 years now has been that his spirit witnesses with my spirit that I am a child of God every day. If I allow him, he'll remind me of that. But he will also guide me. He will also teach me the things that Jesus was teaching. And don't you find that when you read the Bible and you've read it lots of times, you've read a scores of times and you read a story that Jesus told and you've read it so many times you can't remember how many and something new comes out of it. It's just, it's just fascinating. Why does that happen? Is it because we've forgotten what we learned years ago? No, it's because the Holy Spirit is revealing something that you're ready to hear now that you weren't ready to hear before. And when the Holy Spirit speaks to the church, he doesn't only speak to pastors, he doesn't only speak to Bible teachers, he doesn't only speak to elders, he speaks to the church. And I've lived long enough to know that he often speaks to the to the youngest to, to, to even the youngest members of a congregation. He often speaks to youth. He often speaks um, to the newest Christian. And as a church, we gather what God is saying and we allow it to impact our direction. The fact that the body of Christ is, the church is a, the body of Christ, is that it is an organism and we are the body parts. I, I was saying to a church last week, and I just want to say it uh, to you today. In fact, I was saying it to a group of young adults last week. And I said, um, I said, you know, there's no such things as roles in the church. There are functions. Your hands and feet and body, parts of your body don't have roles. They have functions. And we've all been given a gift in order that the body functions properly. And we all need to be looking out and recognising our gift and also the gift of others um, so that the body functions. And there's no, there's no volunteers in a church, just body parts. So you shouldn't be doing what you're doing because it's appropriate to be a volunteer, you're a body part. And if you're pastoring, that's because God has gifted you to do that well. 
And if you're leading music and worshipping, that's because God has gifted you and you're doing that well. And if you're providing help to people out in the community, that's because you're the body part that God has gifted to do that. Exciting, isn't it? You know it. But we just need to often reconnect with it so that instead of feeling a bit discouraged and a bit tired, and it's easy to get discouraged, isn't it? It's easy to hear all the figures, all the percentages and things that we hear about the decline in the church. In fact, I read one the other day. A guy has just written a book called Exit. And and he, he has gathered the information about the people leaving the church currently. And if they keep leaving it at that rate, the viability of churches will have reached its limit in 10 years from now. That most churches will not be viable. Most churches will not be able to afford buildings and pastors because the membership would be so low. Are you going to believe that? I mean, that might be what the statistics say, but, but I know that God's glorying in his church God has a purpose for his church and a plan for his church. And when the church rises up and says, yes, I agree with that plan, then people will not be leaving the church. But the people will be joining the church because they are finding the Christ who is alive and who is alive in us. That's, that's the message of the scriptures. That's the message of Isaiah 62. Let me say one last thing is that the bride of Christ suggests that there is a time of betrothal followed by a marriage. So I don't know whether this is, this will get past all the theologians in the church, but I, I think the church is in the time of betrothal. We know who the bridegroom is and one day there's going to be a marriage feast of the Lamb and when I was at Elkanah I used to say it would be my luck to be on the washing up team that day but (laughs) we know there's going to be a marriage feast of the Lamb but, but this is the betrothal time. This is when the bridegroom is faithful to the bride to be and and the bride to be is faithful to the bridegroom as they wait for that great celebration and the city of delight which it says in my in my version here the city of delight talks about residency so the bride of christ talks about relationship and the 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 city of delight talks about the residency of God in the church. It's a city of delight because God is here. He's in you. No matter how you feel this morning, he's in you. He's dwelling in you. He wants to commune with you. He wants you to commune with him. He wants wants to tell you how much he loves you. He wants to tell you what it costs. For, for your sins, past, present and future to be dealt with on the cross. 
He wants to tell you that. He wants to remind you that you don't have to walk around in the world with your head down feeling ashamed that you are his bride to be in in the world. Betrothed to Jesus. Indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I hope what we've said today has encouraged your heart. This is a time when the church needs to be encouraged, but also needs as a time when the church needs to reach out in that encouragement and take hold of the full complement of what of who Jesus is to us and what the church is to Him. Let's pray. Father, we just, we just really want to worship you. It just boggles our mind that our creator God who dwells in unapproachable light, whose holiness is beyond anything we can imagine and whose power is only partly reflected in the wonder of the universe and his love is partly reflected in what Jesus did for us because you see that holiness and that love and that power is far beyond anything that can be expressed in any event or in any person but it's poured out on us poured out on every believer in every place in the world it's 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 borne out and proven in your love for the church your patience and your grace and your your empowerment offered to the church and we want to just worship you with our whole heart today We want to say thank you, Lord, that you've counted us in. Thank you that you've called us out to be the ecclesia and placed us back in the world to carry your message of salvation. Lord, I want to pray very especially for any man or woman in this congregation today who is discouraged, who is disheartened, who is dejected or depressed I want to pray Lord that you will come with great presence into their lives and you will fill them today with a sense of hope that passes any verbal description and Lord I want to pray for people who are stressed and anxious today and and for whom the whole idea of being the church in the world is just another another reason to be anxious and I want to pray that you will come to them with a, a great anointing of peace and confidence and boldness and Lord I, I want to pray too for those who have have served you for a long long time and who perhaps are weary and tired and I want to pray, Lord, that you will come and, and touch their spirit today 
you take away the feelings of, of, of disappointment. You take away any feelings of failure. That you will just fill them with the sense that they belong to that they are the city of delight, the city in which God lives. And Father, I want to pray for the young young men and women of this church, for those who will be here when many of us are no longer here and will be leading the church in a time that we can only imagine what some of the dynamics will be and I just want to pray for a, a, an excitement in their spirit about the role that they have now and will have in the future to be Christ in every place that you put them, whether it be here leading uh, organizations and ministries or whether it, be, whether it be out there in the world being Christ, being the light in the dark. Lord, will you just... Just fill them with your Holy Spirit and power in the day, for the days that lie ahead. And Lord, we thank you for your word and we pray that you will continue to speak to us this week in Jesus' name. Amen.